Well, good morning. I'm going to miss that couple when this series is over. <laughs> I don't know who they are, but they're special, and they remind me of certain other people in my life. Um, so it is so good to be with you guys. Welcome. Welcome to summer. Almost. We're almost there, and it's still raining, but we're thrilled to have you guys here today. My name is Justin, and I am the lead pastor here at New Community, and uh, I want you to know we're almost six years old. Can you believe that? Isn't that exciting? So yeah, we'll get you more information. Some of you are not excited about that, but you got to be. Um, July 29th, we're going to do a big celebration service out at Jawbone Park. So we're going to have one service that morning. We're going to be doing a time of baptisms out there in the park. Uh, we've got our trough, and the rule of the trough is if you get baptized in the trough, you got to sign the trough. So that's kind of what we're going to be doing if you're interested in that. I also wanted to let you know, um, we had a request from First Baptist Church this week. Jay Teodoro sent me an email, and they have a uh, friend there, Sean Tucker, many of you know, who's been diagnosed with leukemia. And uh, he's got three kids. Uh, I believe they're at Tennerton School is, is what I was told. Um, sweet, sweet family. And uh, they're going to be doing a spaghetti dinner to benefit that family this afternoon um, from 2.30 to 4.30. So if you're interested in kind of supporting the family or, or even just being there. 12.30. It says when to. Oh, 12.30. I just can't see from a distance. 12.30. So go for lunch. Um, but yeah, we, and, and also not just doing the fundraiser. Be praying for this family. Be lifting them up, encouraging them if, if you know them and, and finding a way to interact there. So um, we're going to jump in today. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to go to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter 5 is where we will eventually end up. If you haven't been with us for a while, um, we have been in this series called What Happy Couples Know. Now, this is kind of a fun series for me because we're talking about all the things that happy couples no, yeah, some of you are actually with this. Well done. And, and we've been talking about the fact that in every relationship that we enter into, specifically romantic relationships, in our marriages, in our dating relationships, in our uh, engagements, and this is kind of fun because after church day, about 2 o'clock, I get to do a wedding. So I thought about taking this box. I'm like, I've got four weeks worth of stuff ready. I'm not going to do that. They're in a hurry. So, But in our relationships, every one of us brings this box to the relationships. And then this box is our hopes, our dreams, and our desires. And we've talked about all the things that many of us hope for, dream about, long for in our desires. So we have ideas about conflict management. We have ideas about how clean our house will be, about how many kids we will have, how many little dudes that we won't have, about how we manage our money, about how we manage our time. But one of the things that we haven't necessarily talked about are the intangible things things that go in this box. Because what we've said is that what often happens with the hopes and the dreams and the desires that we bring to a relationship that when we hand them to the other person, they don't feel so much like hopes, dreams, and desires. They actually end up feeling more like expectations. Like you've handed me your box or I've handed you my box and now you're expecting me to fulfill those things. And what we've said is that in that relationship, when that happens, it ceases to be a relationship of love and gratitude and unconditional love and begins to become something that feels more like a debt and debtor. Like you owe me this or I owe you this or this is now just a transactional thing. And what we've said, and, and, and I think what I was kind of thinking about this week, is that the problem in that type of relationship, that transactional relationship, is that, and this always happens, the best negotiator is the one that ends up winning all the conflicts. And don't look at your spouse. Because most times, in most every relationship, one of the partners is a better negotiator, dictator, whatever you want to call it. Um, and the best negotiator always wins. Most couples have a best Negotiator, but in relationships, here's, here's what we know. When, when someone wins, the relationship loses. I can say that a different way because some of you are not with me. When, when I win, we loses. 
Are you with me? So when I win, we, the we of the relationship, actually ends up losing. And we've talked about this. We've talked about these hopes, dreams, and desires. But, but the intangible things are the things that we haven't talked about. Because some of these things that we hope for, the things that we dream about, the things that we desire, come down to intangible things. Some of us hope and dream and desire simply to be respected, simply to be Desired. We want our partner, our spouse, our relationship to, to, to love us, to desire us, to respect us. We want to be admired. We want to feel like we have what it takes. And, and here's why. And this is a specific thing for many guys, right? We want to feel admired because we want to feel like we have what it takes. Because here's what I know. Most guys feel like most of the time, and ladies, I would assume this is true. I've never been a lady, so I don't know. But most of the time, we feel like we don't have what it takes. So in our relationship, we want to know we have what it takes. We want to feel cherished. We want to feel protected or safe or, or like somebody's there to defend us. We want to feel trusted. These are the deeper hopes and dreams and desires. We want to feel like we've been prioritized, that you have actually placed me first in your life, that this is the most important thing. We want to feel pursued. We want to feel like we're attractive. And, and, and I want to say this to you. All of those things, listen, this, is, this has not been a series about getting rid of the things in your box because all of those things are good things. In fact, I would say all of those hopes, dreams, and desires you have are actually reflections of the image of God within you. And it's okay, and it's good, and it's God-given that you have those things in your life. But the question that we've been asking is, what do we do with these things in our box? How do we take these things in our relationships and make it so that they're not expectations, that they're not things that we think the other person owes to us? And how do we do that? When it comes to your marriage, to your fiance, to your partner, your dating relationship, the person that you're with, what are the things that happy couples know? So we've talked about the fact that happy couples make a, make a decision, first of all, happy couples know this, that they make a decision that the other person owes them what? Nothing. nothing. Right, it's so hard, right? We make a decision that they owe us nothing, and yet we will give them everything. This becomes what we talked about last week, this idea of mutual submission, that in a relationship, it is about mutually saying to the other person, I will serve you. I will surrender to you. I will lay down my life for you. I believe, frankly, I believe that's the most powerful Christian idea in the world today is the idea of mutual submission, that we could actually surrender our rights, our privileges, not just in romantic relationships, but throughout the world to serve someone else. And that in a happy, happy couple relationship, it becomes a submission competition where we work as hard as we can to race to the back of the line. How can we serve? So today, I want to press further and I want to ask, what do we do with all these hopes, dreams, and desires? If we're constantly submitting to the other person and we actually decide, you don't owe me anything, what do we do with our box? What do we do with those hopes, dreams, and desires that God has placed in us. Now, here's the good news, right? Peter tells us, this, this guy named Peter in the scripture tells us exactly what to do with these things. And this is good news because when it comes to the stories of, the, of Jesus and the New Testament in our Bibles, Peter is all over those stories. Now, and I say that's good news because if you don't know or you aren't familiar with the Bible, the good news is that Peter isn't the perfect Bible superhero guy, okay? This is good news because Peter was a major, massive, huge failure, screw-up in the kingdom of God. And so if he gets to deal with these things, then the rest of you who sit here every Sunday and go, oh, I can never be like Jesus. Jesus was perfect. He had that whole like spiritual thing. Now we get to say, you can be like Peter. How many of you have ever screwed up massively? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> you can connect with Peter 
Because Peter is a failure in many ways. He's a failure who recovers and he actually becomes a spiritual leader. He's someone who stood beside Jesus as a friend for three years. And on the very night that his friend needed him the most, the night that Jesus was betrayed, arrested, tortured, and killed by hanging on a cross, Peter ran away. He failed miserably. Can you imagine that stress? Can you imagine that relational letdown, looking at that relationship and going, I thought you were with me. I thought we had each other. That's who Peter was. And yet, when Jesus was resurrected, when he came back to life, Peter was restored as one of the early leaders of the church. So Peter knows about letdowns. He knows about failure. He knows about unmet expectations. And he tells us what to do with the hopes, the dreams, and the desires in our box. And I want to say this to you. If you're here and you're going, I'm ready to move on from this romantic relationship series because I'm not interested in that. I'm single. I'm, we're married. We seem to be happy. She hasn't told me if we're not. We seem to be okay. Let's, let's just keep going. Here's the good thing. The principle that Peter gives us is not just for marriage, but it's actually for all of life. This principle that Peter's going to spell out is actually for all the things in our life, every relationship in our life. But I want to give you a preface because what Peter says is a little bit weird. I'm going to tell you that. It's a little bit strange. It's going to be a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit difficult. And to be honest, if you're here, I'm inviting you to put down your skepticism about this stuff and actually listen to the words of a man who knew Jesus personally. And here's the other thing. You may be skeptical, but the alternatives are not working for you in your relationships. So what Peter's going to tell us may be hard because... But here's the thing. What else are you going to do with the things in your box? Here are the options that I think we, we tend to try, the alternatives. The first one is we think we can ignore them, right? We think, well, well, maybe I don't have to deal with these things. I can just ignore them. But here's what I know. If you're ignoring those things, you will be miserable or you will be worn out. You will take your hopes and dreams and desires and you'll think, I can just shift them away. I'll be okay. I don't need to deal with it. I'm okay. We're okay. Let's just keep going. But the relationship that you're in will not be healthy because you won't be healthy. This is a principle for life that you've heard me say before. Hurt people hurt others. If you are a person who has had your hopes, dreams, and desires let down or you've tried to ignore them, you are a hurt person who will end up hurting others. You cannot ignore these things forever. Every broken marriage that I've ever counseled, now don't miss this, every broken marriage that I've ever counseled has ignored things. It does not work in our lives. And you believe that because if you get an infection in your arm or your leg, you go to the doctor so the doctor can treat you. Nobody says, I'll be okay. I only need one leg. But we treat our relationships that way. Well, if I just ignore it, everything's going to be okay. But you won't. Some of you are going to ignore that statement that I just made. And it's not going to work for you. And you come back to me in years and say, we really need help. Here, here's the second option that I think we do with our hopes, dreams, and desires. We simply try to stay busy. Guilty? Anybody? We simply try to stay busy. We stay distant from the relationship, from the difficulties of the relationship by fulfilling hobbies and distractions. Listen, here's what I know. Couples, you often are filling your lives with hobbies because you want to distract yourself from the problems. So how many couples, in, and we don't have to raise hands in this room, but just think about your friends because I know none of you struggle with this. How many couples will distract themselves with their kids? We're having problems. Well, let's just go sign up for another sport. It's going to be okay. Let's fulfill that. Or we end up with recreation. We're having so many big problems. Let's go further in debt and buy something brand new that we can spend our time loving life. That'll fix everything. So let's fulfill recreation. 
And what happens, I see this time and time again, is that when the kids graduate and the kids leave, when the finances go south, when the sports and the hobbies end, when everything that has become your identity, we're a soccer family, we're a football family, we're a band family, we're a theater family, we're a camping family, we do all these things. When that identity walks out the door, you have no idea how to remain married to each other and stay in love. Because the reality is your life is no longer distracted and you recognize that it's falling apart. I bet you've been there or I bet you know somebody who's been there. This is like, kind of like ignoring things, but it's like active ignoring. I will choose to distract myself. Now, here's what I know. That isn't why you got into that relationship and it won't fill you up to busy yourself with those other things. Plus, it doesn't teach your kids anything good, right? That's not the legacy we wanna leave for them. Here, here's the third option. We end up trying to find someone else. We end up trying to find someone else, or we do find someone else. Now, let me just preface this. If you're here and you're not married, you're in a dating relationship, if your hopes, dreams, and desires do not match up with the person that you're dating, I think this is a tremendous idea. I think it's actually a great thing. If you're dating someone and their hopes, dreams, and desires don't match up with yours, and you're not pursuing the same path that Christ has for you, then I want to say to you, it's a good idea to go find someone else. It's a good idea to actually get out of that relationship. It's hard, but I would say to you, it's better to know now than to get down the road, get married, and say, wow, I thought that things would change. I thought he would change. I thought she would change. How many of you know men and women don't change in marriage? They become more of who they already were. This is a dead crowd today. Are we going to wake up a little bit? Now, can I say this? If you're not dating and you're actually married, I want to say to you, changing the relationship isn't going to work because... And this is the deepest statement I'm going to make today. Are you ready? Changing the relationship isn't going to work because wherever you go, there you are. Should I say it again? Yeah, it took a minute. Wherever you go, there you are. What happens is you say, well, you're not meeting my needs. You're not meeting the hopes, dreams, and desires I have. So I'm picking up my box, and I'm going to go find someone else. I don't care that we're still married. I just I'm going to tell you about it. Or maybe I'll divorce you and then we'll figure it out. But you still have your box, you still have you and all that you are and you take it and you hand it off to the next person saying, here, it's your turn. And here's what I know. Whether you're dating, looking for someone else or you're married and you decide to switch it up, when you meet the other person, here's what I'm gonna tell you, the new person, how many of you know this? They are on their best behavior. (laughs) Did you ever notice that? They are on their best behavior. They dress so nice. They shower before they go out on a date. They put deodorant on. It's all wonderful. They keep their hair cut short. Like everything is good. But here's what I know. It's their best behavior. Now we say this is easy, right? It's easier. I I, I believe that. It's easier to switch a relationship than to stay in a hard relationship. Because switching up is fresh. It's exciting. And it stirs things up in you. And I want to make an observation for those of you in this place looking to find, or maybe you've already found someone else. I just want to tell you this, right? You know this, but maybe you need to hear it. People don't rush into a new relationship going, I can't wait to give my life away to somebody else. They don't rush into a relationship super eager to lay down their lives for someone else. Actually, when you enter a new relationship, you're looking to get something that you haven't gotten from your previous relationships. You're actually thinking specifically about you. You're thinking about, you're not thinking about giving, let's just be honest. You're thinking about what you can get because, and here's what I know. This is, this is principle of life. I want you to understand this. Singles in the room, I get this. Those who've been married, who are thinking about remarrying, we understand this. Loneliness is hard. 
Loneliness is a really hard thing, but the problem is, the danger is, what I want to say to you, loneliness often supersedes logic. Have you ever noticed that? You ever made a really bad decision because of loneliness? And we don't have to admit that here, but, but I think that's true. Loneliness can overcome our logic, which means, and please listen to this, please hear this clearly, if you are dating someone who is recently divorced, or if you are recently divorced, you are not a second-class citizen in this church, we're not going to come down on you, we're not going to judge you, but I want you to understand this. If you are in that position where you're dating someone who's recently divorced, or you've been recently divorced, time is your friend. Time is your friend. I just want to say that to you. I have this internal struggle, and I'm really cautious when people ask me to do weddings for folks who have been divorced. And I'm just going to say this. Some of you are going to get mad at me. Some of you think I'm going to be judgmental. But I'm really hesitant to do a wedding for someone who's been divorced for less than two years because I think time needs to be your friend. You need space to heal. You need space to walk through those things. Why do we have to rush into those new things because often loneliness is the thing that's driving it. And it's not because we want to just be selfless with someone else. It's because we have a box that becomes really heavy to carry on our own. And we want to get that box out of our hands. So I just want you to hear this. When you start feeling that pressure in a dating relationship, no matter where you are, now I'm talking dating, you probably need to hit the pause button or the eject button as quickly as you can. Tough love today. Amen? Are we ready? Ready for the good options? So I think those are the things that we try. When it comes to your hopes, dreams, and desires, we try to ignore them. We try to stay busy or switch things around, find another person. But let's look at what this guy Peter said. 1 Peter 5. Here, here, let's look at verse 5. Here's where we'll start. Here's what it says. All of you, everybody say all. all. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. All right, now this is Peter's general principle for every single relationship in the world, for friends, family, marriages, the church, whatever. And we're going to apply it today to romantic relationships. Peter says, at every critical moment, at every important and essential point of the relationship, work for humility. He says, at every point in that relationship that you're pursuing, ask yourself this question. This is a question. If you're taking notes, write this down. What would a humble person do? What would a humble person do? Everyone of us in this room needs to begin to practice this, to actually ask ourselves in the context of our relationships, our romantic relationships, what would a humble person do? Now, I know some of you are here and you say, I don't know how to answer that question. I know. It's because you're not humble, right? So we need to actually begin to ask this question and learn, what would a humble person do? And here's the secret thing about humility. If you start doing what a humble person does, you'll start being humble. Are you amazed at how deep this message is today? All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Then look at what he says next, verse, verse five. Because, why do we do that? Because God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. So listen, Peter says, be humble toward one another because God himself actually steps away from the prideful person. God himself, when it comes to humble people and prideful people, he will oppose the proud. He does not want to be around the, the, the prideful person. Now you say, well, that's harsh of God. Why would God draw away from any? But, it, but it's not harsh. And you know why? Because none of you like prideful people. None of us are drawn to arrogance. None of us like being around that. He says God opposes the proud. Then he goes on and he says, but he shows favor. You could insert grace there. He shows favor, grace to the humble. Now, this is a really powerful part of this. What Peter says is that in our relationships, God actually draws himself away when pride is pushing through, but he will actually step closer. 
He will show favor and more grace when humility is at the core of a relationship. Peter says this, when we are humble, when we practice humility, we are actually inviting God to be more a part of our lives. We're actually saying, God, I'm, I'm practicing humility. I want to know what a humble person would do, and I'm going to act on that because that is an opportunity to allow God to, to strengthen us. So when it comes to you and me and it comes to our relationships, when we choose to go small, when we choose to mutually submit, when we choose to race to the back of the line, what we're actually doing when we put others first, those moments are saying, God, I'm inviting you to show up because, God, you know I don't want you to show up. I want you to let me handle this relationship. I'd like to prove to them that I'm right. I'd like to step. But when we choose to be humble, we say, God, I'm inviting you into this place to do something extraordinary. Now look at verse 6. He goes on. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Now that phrase is a little bit confusing, right? Under God's mighty hand. What does that mean? I want to say this to you. This isn't about being under God's fist or his wrath. Right? This is not a threat. This is not uh, uh, about that. This isn't aggressive. It's actually about protection. It, it's a statement that God actually leans in close to the humble person, the humble relationships. And, and he says, you are now under my authority. And you're not just under my authority. You're actually in my love. That because you've humbled yourself, I'm going to take care of you. God says, I will move closer. And then he says this, that he may lift you up in due time, right? So go ahead to the next slide. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So this is confusing, right? What is Peter saying? Does God actually have hands? Like, is he a lion or an eagle? Like, what is, what is he talking about? What does this mean that he's gonna lift us up? Peter says, I'm inviting you to this place. And I love this because you gotta keep this in mind. Peter spent time with Jesus personally. He's not just writing theology books. I wonder what, let's use the idea. He says, no, when you're humble, God is going to move closer to you, and he's actually going to lift you up. And then in verse 7, this is, this is where we're going to kind of land for a little bit. Here's what he says. Cast, everybody say all again. Cast all your anxiety on him. Now, wait a minute. Like all of it? Like all my anxiety? You don't know me, God. Like I'm like anxious about being anxious. God, like, I, I read a report that said you could get cancer from wiping your butt with the wrong toilet paper, and now I'm paranoid about, like, God, you want all my anxiety, all of it, like, all the stress, all the worry, all the fear, all the frustration, all of it? Yes. Yes. Hey, some of you are going to be hung up on that all day long, specifically family in the back of the room. You can leave. So <laughs> That wasn't even in my notes. I just threw that in. <laughs> Improv. <laughs> Carrie says, stick to the notes. <laughs> so he wants all of it? He wants all of it. Yes. God actually says, or Peter actually says, unload on God. Give him all of it. He says, now, now, now catch this, cast. Now this word, you could translate this word as throw it or hurl it out there or just get rid of it as quickly as you can. Take all those things and throw them at your heavenly father. All your hopes, all your dreams, all your desires, all your expectations, throw them onto God rather than, now catch this, rather than continuing to throw them at your significant other. You're throwing all your anxiety on your significant other. Stop doing that. Start to cast it onto God himself. So can I, can I get a little bit tough here for just a minute? Here, here's what this invitation is. Stop praying polite prayers. 
Stop praying formal prayers. Stop praying silent prayers. Maybe just start praying. I, I, I want to be honest, and I'm going to be honest with you because this is about me too. I'm truly and sincerely, I, I, when I look at the state of our church, who we are as a congregation, one of the biggest concerns I have is the state of our prayer lives. Because I'm convinced that when it comes to our marriages, when it comes to our homes, when it comes to our families, our friendships, our romantic relationships, and even the state of our churches, I'm concerned that the lack of prayer or the state of prayer in our lives is standing in the way of God truly doing some incredible things in us, of God actually creating breakthroughs in our lives. Because here's what I know. We're good at not praying. Aren't you good at that? Isn't it easy to not pray? Aren't we good at silently praying? Well, I, I pray on my own in a group. I'm not going to pray because I don't feel comfortable. I'm, I, I pray on my own. We're good at polite and formal praying. But you know what we're not good at? We're not good at honestly praying. And I say that, again, not judgmentally. I struggle with that. And I want to tell you some really practical things about honest prayers because this is what Peter is talking about. I'm not talking ideas. I want to give you some actual steps today. Listen, if you want to pray honest prayers, here's step one. You ready? Get on your knees. No, like physically, get on your knees. Not, not the sign that, oh, I fight fair on my knees. That's the spiritual poster. Fight. No, I mean like actually get down on your knees by yourself or with your spouse. Now, why? Why do I say that? Because that's what a humble person would do. That demonstrates humility. That says that I can't do this on my own. And, and I would, I, just to speak to marriage in general, can we just challenge this? It's really hard to hate someone that you kneel beside and pray with. That's almost impossible, I would say. It's really difficult to hate someone, to continue to be angry at someone that you see humbling themselves and you're humbling yourself beside to pray and ask God to intervene. So get down on your knees by yourself or with your spouse. Here's the second thing. Raise your hands. Now you say, now you're getting weird, right? I don't raise my hands for nobody. Like that's, I'm not, I didn't, I quit school and I'm not raising my hand, but I want to say this to you. Why would, why would I say that? Why would I say we raise our hands? Because here's what I know. When you were a child, when you were a little guy or a little girl and you were out running and you were out playing and you fell and you got that big scratch on your knee and it hurt so bad and you thought your leg was going to fall off, you ran somewhere. You ran to mommy, to daddy, to grandma, to grandpa. You ran somewhere. And when you ran and you saw them, what did you do? Pick me up. Pick me up. I can't do this on my own. See, I want you to recognize this. Your brain is directly connected to your body. Do you know that? Some of you are like, no, I didn't know that. Well, now you do. And what that means is that your posture matters. Your body will actually send signals to your mind. Bob Goff, a great author, he says, it's nearly impossible to be defensive when your hands are open. See, our posture reflects that. Peter says, start with your Father in heaven. Cast all your anxiety on him. Now, let me tell you what Peter's saying. He's not saying... Not, not, not formal, not polite, not silent prayers, honest prayers, and pray this. Now, here, here's, the, here's the hitch, out loud. When's the last time you prayed out loud? Just think about that. When's the last time you actually spoke words out loud to God? You say, well, our house is so noisy all the time. Anyway, I don't know when I could do that. It's uncomfortable. When's the last time you prayed out loud? I'm not talking you're sitting around the dinner table. God is good. God is great, and we thank him for our food. That's not what I'm saying. When did you pray honest words out loud? To God, because you have to pour your heart out to God in the small places so you can experience God in the big, difficult places. That has to be a normal rhythm of life. Think about this. Remember how the disciples came? Listen, Peter was part of this. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. 
And Peter's recalling that moment saying, I know how to do this. Unload all these things on your Father in heaven. Don't hold anything back. And you know what's cool? This is my favorite part of this. Peter's actually pulling some of these verses from the Old Testament. He's actually quoting one of the Psalms, a prayer from the greatest king Israel ever had, King David. When he says, cast all your anxieties on him, he's actually quoting from the Psalms. So I want to look at this prayer briefly. I want you to see how honest David prayed. Look at Psalm 55, and we'll start at verse 12. I think this is going to resonate with some of you. Here's what it says. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. He says, if people that I didn't like were coming after me, I could handle that. I'd be okay with that. But here's what he says. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend. So what's going on in David's prayer? David's been betrayed by a friend, right? This close relationship, this close friendship that he had. He says, this friend has turned his back on me. This was my buddy, my friend, my pal. What happened? Then verse 14, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. He said, we went to church together. I thought we could get along. Can you imagine someone fighting in church? We worship together. We honored God together. Then he gets really honest. Now check this out. He says, verse 15, watch this prayer. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. Do you know what the translation there is in English? To hell with them. That's what he says. To hell with them. Now we're getting really uncomfortable, aren't we? Can you pray? I didn't know we could pray that to God. Verse 16, he says, as for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me evening, morning, and noon. I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. He begins to make humble decisions. What would a humble person do? He says, I, I call out to God. The Lord's gonna save me. I'm gonna cry out in, in my distress. I'm gonna take it all to him. This is verse 18, he says, he rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me. Even though many oppose me, God who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them and he will humble them because they have no fear of God. This is where Peter's translating, right? He's going to oppose the proud, and he's going to draw near to the humble. Then verse 20, my companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. David says, I had all these things that I thought this friend was going to help me with. And he's just continually betraying, betraying me. I can't stop stressing about this. I, I hate him. I want you to take care of this. And then he says exactly what Peter quotes. Check this out. Verse 22, cast your cares on the Lord. Throw them at God. Unload them. Hurl them out here, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaking, but you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. But as for me, I trust in you. How many of you have ever seen a prayer that honest, right? How many of you have ever prayed a prayer that honest? Have you ever prayed out loud like that? Have you ever been that honest with God? Because if you haven't, here's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering how we can say that we've completely opened our hearts to God. Friends, God doesn't want polite. He wants you. That's humility. He doesn't want formal. He wants you, and let me say this to you. Can I just call this out? If you grew up in an environment where you didn't have permission to talk that way to your parents and especially your father, it's going to take a while to get there. That's going to take some time. Find peace in that. Find comfort. Find grace in that. Because if it was always your parents responding to you, well, that's the way it is, and you're not going to question me, and da, 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 then you don't understand what it's like to come honestly to a parent. 
And I want to say that to you. It's going to take some time. Give yourself grace in that. Parents in the room, I want, you, I want to challenge you with this. This is going to be very much not maybe what you've heard in Christianity about parenting. Give your kids permission to speak this way to you. Because when you give them that permission, they will learn that they can take anything to God. One of the things I hope my kids learn is that they can share from the bottom of their heart, whether I disagree or agree, that they can share whatever they want with me. And I want to thank them. Thank you for sharing that with me. Thank you for bringing your feelings to me because I want everything you have. I would rather that energy come fearless to me, fearlessly to me rather than direct it somewhere else. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The reason. This is where we're going to start to wrap up. The reason God won't shut you down, the reason God is not like your dad or your mom and tells you just to stay quiet, the reason he's not going to ignore you, it's because he cares for you. And if it's important to you, it's important to your father in heaven because you are important to your father in heaven. Friends, that's what good fathers do. So the brokenness in your life, the anxiety in your life, the fear in your life, and you know how Peter knew this? Because to Jesus... He was like the friend in David's psalm. Check this out. Peter was the friend who worshiped beside Jesus, who betrayed Jesus, and Jesus took him back. Jesus says, give it all to me, everything in your box, every single day, all your hopes, dreams, and desires, give them to me. But I have to tell you this. The first remarkable thing God does is not in the life of the person down the hall. When you bring all those things to God, when you, bring all the, when you cast those things, you throw them onto God, you unload onto God. God doesn't, first of all, do something in the life of the person that you sleep with or that you used to sleep with, but now it's separate rooms. The first thing God does is in you. So you're going to start to see the box differently. You might take some things out that you realize, you know what, I didn't really need this anyway. Maybe I just need to give this up. Maybe I need to surrender this. You might re recommit some of those things and say, man, I, my spouse can't meet these hope streams. These are for me to surrender to God. Only God can do this. And you may even realize that some of your dreams, your hopes, and desires are actually the same as your spouse. So here's what happy couples know. Sometimes you got to throw things. Sometimes you got to throw things up to God. Sometimes you got to unload on God. God says, give them to me. I want it all. As the band comes, I'm going to give you a chance to do just that. We're going to share communion together in this church. We take communion corporately as a body, and we actually ask you to go to the table. Today, the table's in the back of the room. And when we take communion, here's, here's what we believe, and I love this. This is from Matthew 8, verse 16. It says, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, to Jesus. And he drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all the sick. So Jesus has this thing going on where he's healing, and he's setting captives free from demonic possession. He's doing all this stuff. And then verse 17, it says, this is why this happened. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, clear back in the Old Testament. He took up our infirmities, and he bore our diseases. Do you know what I'm afraid of about throwing things up to God? I'm afraid that he's not going to catch it, and it's going to come back down and hit me on the head. That's what I get afraid of, is that the things that I throw out to God, that he may not catch them. But I love the story that tells us Jesus actually took up all of those things. He took up our infirmities. He took up our sicknesses. He took up our diseases. And so when we go to the table, 
and you break the bread. The bread is a symbol of the brokenness of Christ's body to say it was broken for you and it was broken in order that he could win victory. And when we dip it in the juice and we drink that, that, that cup, we recognize the symbol of the blood that says at this place, this sacrament, we are reaffirming, God, you can take it all. You can take it all. You will carry this. You've never stopped carrying this. I don't have to worry. I can cast these anxieties onto you. So I know today is about happy couples, and I believe God wants to deal with some couples in the room. I believe God may call some of you to say, you gotta cast these things onto me. And even before you take communion, you may need to say, you know what, we need to pray together. We need to give these things up. I need to give this thing up, whatever it is. But I also know today is not just about happy couples. Today is actually about hearts and souls. And that some of you have been walking this path by yourself for a long time. And some of you have been carrying things on your own for a long time. And maybe the act of faith today is to say, Jesus, I'm going to hand this heart, this life, this soul over to you. Because you died on the cross, because you resurrected, that I believe you can rescue my life. And I'm going to pray for us in just a minute. And then if that's you, if you're here and you would say, I've never given that to Jesus. I've never committed my heart to Christ. I'm going to ask you like I do to just make contact with me so I can pray for you. I'm not gonna call you out. I'm not gonna embarrass you. But I want that statement of faith, just you making eye contact with me to say, I need to give these things to Jesus. So let's pray together.